Hey everyone, I'm Julie Gunlock, the host of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. For those new to the program, this podcast is focused on how parents should custom tailor their parenting style to fit what's best for their families, themselves, and most importantly, their kids. Today, I'm joined by Lindsay Stroud. She's the director of the Taxpayers Protection Alliance's Consumer Center, which provides data and analysis to policymakers. Prior to that, Stroud was a state government relations manager at the Heartland Institute. Lindsay recently wrote a piece for Town Hall about the alarmism surrounding the so-called youth vaping epidemic. I know that this is a concern for a lot of parents out there, and hopefully we'll bring you a little reassurance today. Uh, Lindsay, in this piece, Lindsay wrote, quote, the Center for Disease Control and Prevention recently published the results from the 2021 National Youth Tobacco Survey. And despite the great news that vaping rates among youth have significantly decreased, both the CDC and the Food and Drug Administration are using the opportunity to further mislead and poison the discussion about tobacco harm reduction, and I would add, about youth vaping. So we're going to get into this and a few other issues on today's podcast. Thanks, Lindsay, for joining me today. Thank you for having me. I'm really excited to join y'all. Well, I have really admired your work in this issue. This is something that I have written on and wrote on a lot more um, sort of when the Trump administration was really hot and heavy on this issue. And, and you know, that was sort of vaping and um, and the so-called youth vaping epidemic was in the news. But you have really um, kept on this and really tracking um, this industry in America. And as you can see, um, you know, they, the CDC, the FDA has not uh, reduced the alarmism <laughs> on the so-called youth vaping. So I'd really like to get into that. And, and, and I guess I'll just start with a, I'll just start with a pretty simple question here. Is there a youth vaping epidemic? No, no, there's not. Uh, <laughs> All right. Okay. But... Podcast done. Nope. Now we're done. <laughs> Well, I mean, when you look at the definition of epidemic, you know, uh, Webster's definition, you know, an overwhelmingly large, you know, certain percentage of the population. Um, unfortunately, with vaping, it really doesn't end up being that way. Yes, there are kids that are using vaping devices. And, yes, it's really scary when you look at um, in the past 20 years how much youth smoking has gone down, um, and you've seen an uptick of youth using these devices, but they're all novel devices. So, of course, you have, you know, youth using them, experimenting with them. Um, but they, the way that the CDC and the FDA and a lot of other NGOs and uh, public health agencies are, you know, the, the way that they're manipulating the numbers. Um, for example, when you hear, you know, what, you know, what's the latest numbers? Like, uh, 20% of youth have used the e-cigarette or using e-cigarettes or current users of e-cigarettes. Well, that's defined as using an e-cigarette on at least one occasion in the past 30 days. Okay, so I want to, I want to slow roll this out because I think this is the most important Sorry. thing. Okay. No, 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 no. Believe me, I, I tend to talk quick about this subject because, you know, especially when you write about it and you're really involved in this, but, you know, when I talk to when I talk to mo- other moms, moms, um, you know, especially tweens and and teenagers, um, you know, they hear that number twenty percent, right? And they freak out, and then they hear like, you know, um, especially like, you know, okay, you you know, cigarette use is down, but now everybody's just switching to vaping. Um, it, it is terrifying, but it's I think it's really important that what you just said there. You said, but let's define use, right? And so. 
the CDC is basically suggesting to parents that 20% of all teens are smoking, are, are vaping habitually, right? So they're, yep. they wake up in the morning, you know, <laughs> I think of Hunter Biden, right? Getting craw- crawling out of bed, looking at like he hasn't showered in five days, you know, and like that's what parents imagine, right? Their kid is like, uh, you know, he, they need a, they need to hit on their vape immediately. But, um, and then, you know, and they're smoking like every three hours, you're, you're vaping, you know, every couple hours during the day and it's every day, right? But that's, that's not true. So you had said, um, you, you, you know, like talk about that a little bit more, how, how the CDC is bunching every kind of use into this 20%. Well, okay. So I guess the best way to go back to what they're looking at. So they're looking, there's two big studies that the government funds. You've got the National Youth Tobacco Survey or the NYTS, and then you've got the Youth Risk Behavior Survey. Um, and I forget, I, I want to say the CDC does the NYTS, and I want to say the FDA does it, and I know the CDC is the one who administers the BRFS. Um, and the NYTS is done every year. The BRFS is done every other year. Um, and I like the BRFS better myself because it actually gives state information. But they just get, kind of give questionnaires to these students and, you know, have you ever tried an e-cigarette? And then the next question is, you know, have you used an e-cigarette product on at least one occasion in the past 30 days? And then it goes into some of them are really weird. I know the NYTS goes into, I think, like 20 or more days and then 30 or more days. And then they yeah. break it down from that. And what you're seeing with the latest, um, you know, past three weeks, I think, that they did the NYTS uh, 2021 data, that the way that they're, I mean, youth vaping now is at its lowest level since they started looking at it. But they're disregarding that and they're using it well out of current users, so the kids who have used an e-cigarette at least on one occasion, well, this percentage of them are daily vapors, and they're just, like, yeah. so befuddling, again, I guess, the data. So, again, there's a lot of acronyms in there, and I want to break this down. So, essentially, let's just put yeah. in real-world terms. Your kid goes to a party, right? Every you know, Everybody's standing around, right? And someone has a has an e-cigarette, and a kid, you know, might take a, a few drags on it, tries it out, doesn't like it, Right. Then he gets this questionnaire where he's asked if he's ever tried an e-cigarette. He says, yes, you know, and then essentially what the CDC is doing is counting them. Or again, you know, you, you mentioned a couple different, um, different studies there, surveys there, but essentially what's being, ha- what's happening is, you know, they're collecting all of those people. And if a person, if a person and a different kid, the one with, with the e-cigarette who owns it is like, yeah, I, you know, I, I use it. I used it, you know, a couple times for 30 days. Like I use it every day, essentially. He's a habitual, that that kid is a habitual e-cigarette user. But they're taking that kid who might have used it once, tried it, and they're they're putting yeah. them all together. And so it inflates. They're cooking the books, essentially. They're yeah. making it look yeah. much worse than it is. And there's not a lot of data. And, like, you know, what I, they tend to administer these, like, out in the springtime as well. So. Yeah. Especially if you look at like high school seniors, you know, most of them have their graduation parties then. And right. so you're going to see a little bit more of parties going on that you're right. If they, oh, you went out to the party that month and oh, look, the CDC just came in and decided to go do a survey on you. And look, you're in this new, this data set that all of the policymakers are going to go use. Um, you know, here's the data. We've got, you know, it's a youth vaping epidemic, um, which it really isn't, but. So I, so this is, I, I think this is so important for, for parents to understand because I think parents really do have a capacity to handle certain rebel, you know, a certain amount of rebellious behavior, right? And, 
And look, I am, <laughs> I am, I, I feel like my parents, are, my kids are going to listen to this someday and go, see mom, um, you're fine, you're fine with me trying this stuff. And that, that, you know, look, we, we know that, that teenagers do really, you know, reckless things and they do bad things yeah. and they do unhealthy yeah. things. And, you know, we can, you know, you, you want to be a good parent and you want to do the best you can and you hope that you have these conversations with them and point out why this is bad. And let's, re- let's remember here. Youth vaping is illegal. Okay. So like we, it's not yeah. like, okay, they, you know, they, they're, you know, driving cars post 16 is, is legal, but you can't necessarily guarantee that a, a child won't drive recklessly. So you hope you do your best. And I think that there are obviously some, some legal <laughs> blocks in the way of kids. You know, it's, it's illegal to buy them and it's illegal to get them and attain them. And of course there are black markets, which is why we should not we should not further regulate these things or, or make it more difficult because I mean, we don't, we don't have to get into the whole, that's how the black market thrives, but really that is how kids are getting these things. And, and so, um, so I think it's really important that parents understand that this is yet another area where look, kids might do this. Um, and, and it's unfortunate. Um, but most of the kids are not then creating a habit um, and, yeah. and I think that is so important for parents to understand because if you're going to take this logic of, okay, we are so horrified by this so-called, uh, vaping epidemic, well, then we really need to look at other things like alcohol and driving and other things where kids get in trouble and say, we should take the, ple- like, an, an item that is a pleasurable for adults, like drinking alcohol and ban it to save this segment, this segment of kids who abuse it. Um, or they're never going to do that. (laughs) They tried that once. (laughs) How'd that turn out? I can't remember. FDA only wishes it could regulate that, but yeah, (laughs) you're absolutely right. But I do think that it's really important, but this is the other thing. So let's talk about another thing. Why this, why these, why they use parents? Why do they do this? And I know you know this and I know I do this, but I'm asking for the listeners. Why is it so effective to freak out parents. What happens, right, when parents think this is an epidemic and all kids are being swept up in this and it's going to harm a whole generation of kids? Why are parents and why are, like, sort of targeting children, like, you know, sort of in there? It, it you know, I can answer this for you, but I think we both know that this, this makes people acquiesce to government regulations, right? Well, it's interesting now. When I look at the vaping world, what it comes down to, it looks like everyone's assuming that it's just big tobacco, trying to hook the next generation onto nicotine, and especially in the States um, and even around the world, when you look at, like, especially open system vapor, you know, that's a lot of consumers. It's actually an amazing product to look at because if you look at vaping it didn't come from the tobacco companies it did come from consumers of course tobacco companies got into it later because they're losing all their customers and it's also just this weird product if it was any other consumer product in the world governments would be requiring those manufacturers to be you know producing the reduced harm product which they're not because after the MSA, it's pretty much, you know, everything, you know, big tobacco, we, we won against big tobacco, which nobody won against big tobacco, and the smokers lost because they're the ones paying for MSAs and stuff and the master settlement agreement. But I think it's just this notion, especially using the parents, that this is big tobacco coming in. 
we won against them before. Now we're going to go after them again. And like, we're going to feel victorious because like we beat them, um, which I think Big Tobacco should be producing these products. If I was a dictator, I would be requiring them to do that. But that's just me. Well, I also think that there is something that when you see, so I think that there's a really legitimate reason for these products, obviously harm reduction, right? Yeah. And for those listening who don't know, um, you know, and, and I, I have to keep saying that, Lindsay, because, you know, this isn't a vaping podcast. This is a, this is for parents and this is, you know, I don't, I don't think a lot of parents really understand what even harm reduction means. But harm reductions for those who, harm reduction for those who don't know are things like, um, methadone clinics, right? Or condom distribution in areas where seatbelts. Seatbelts. Um, yeah, another great example, right? So these are things where, or needle exchanges. These are where, you know, their harms are so great to using uh, infected needles. And there's like a debate because some people say, well, you know, are you increasing, are you basically assisting addicts and stuff like that? But there is this really interesting world of harm reduction and, and, you know, and and again, for people who don't know, vaping is 95% less harmful than conventional cigarette. Because, again, what I don't think a lot of people know is the combustion. It's the smoke that kills you. And water vapor with nicotine in it does not does not cause the sort of lung harms. And, and we know this. We, we, we There is a, a huge amount of, of, of scientific evidence showing that the lungs are, are not harmed through vaping. And so so it is a much better method of nicotine delivery. And so, you know, when you talk to people about this, you know, lifetime, and I know, Lindsay, you spend a lot of time talking to this industry and people in this industry, but also former smokers who've really yep. been rescued by these products. And there's some really inspirational stories. You know, people say, oh, God, I've tried for 30 years and I couldn't stop smoking. I smoked two packs a day and then I went to vaping and it really helped me. But then when you bring in this kid thing, when you bring in this great harm to children and it's an epidemic, it is really a way to get good people to not care about smokers who need these products. It's amazing to me. I watch good people. Literally, it's like a switch goes off and they no longer care about addicts who need these products to get them off of combustible cigarettes. So that's why I think the CDC uses this. It's wildly immoral, uh, but it works. Well, and, well, and I think the best example with the CDC was the the vaping-related lung injuries, or what they call evali. Yes. And Tell I hate using that, that term. Um, so, I mean, I when it came, well, I knew. I knew it was the, the THC cartridges. I've seen them. I'm in Illinois. And so... In August, up, I started talk, talk about the talk about what happened. This happened what, so, two years ago now. Yeah, so August 2019, uh, the CDC started like raising the alarm about how health departments across the country were seeing an increase of the vaping-related lung injuries. Um, you know, persons that had vaped and were coming in with lung problems, and they pretty much like took that and ran with it. It ended up being like. 2,200 cases maybe and less than 100 people that had died um, when it was all said and done because they quit tracking it. So they started tracking it from like August 2019 until like February 2020 because then COVID came in. Mm-hmm. Um, but it was just this alarmism from the CDC National. And what I was doing, I was at the Heartland Institute at that point. So I was literally every weekend going on to the state health department pages and seeing what they were saying and just tracking it. And you were seeing with some of them, and it was interesting because it was red and blue states. So, like, California and Wisconsin were providing, like, really good data versus, like, some other red and blue states that were not providing really good data. Huh. And kind of aggregating it as far as, like, 
what you were seeing as early as August, that you were seeing the, the big similarity between all of these patients is that they were using illicit vaping products that often contain tetrahydrocannabinol or THC in it. Um, and I actually had, like, I knew about Dank Vapes out here in Illinois, and I knew it was this fake weed brand is what I've always told people that what it was. And I actually had found that you could go on Amazon and buy, like, fake dank vapes packaging and you could also go buy your own little fake cartridge that you could go put into a vaping device and just fill it with whatever you want and then go sell it to people on the black market uh you can't find them anymore on it and so like i started calling out dank vapes back in like august 2019 it wasn't actually until december 2019 that the cdc did come out and over 50 percent of the patients that had reported vaping related lung injuries they reported using that dank vapes brand which is not an actual legitimate brand Right. But they kept going on, oh, it's vaping, refrain from vaping, even though you've had legal vaping products, regulated vaping products on the market since, you know, they came into America in 2007 and then 2019, so 12 years later, you're having problems with these. Um, and the CDC just kind of, it was almost like they were like, we finally have problems with this. Awesome. We're going to publicize it as much as we can and scare the crap out of the public. Yep. Yep. And again, they said that this was, it was almost gleeful. It was almost like, oh, goody, goody, goody. Yeah. We finally have the evidence. You're going down. I remember just this sense of victory that, and, and again, they were having sort of victory parties. I'm not kidding about that. It was like absolutely gleeful, um, uh, you know, tweets and, and comments from the CDC. Very slow, very slow to actually say, well, you know, and absolutely no, um, none of the, well, like, hey, guys, let's let's slow down. Let's figure this out. It was pretty much agreed that this was some general harms caused by what were all vaping devices. Yes, all vaping devices and what was regulated and what was already on the market. Um, And so it was incredibly frustrating for people like us because, of course, that ramped up the parent panic. And there was no reassurance. There was no hang on people. Let's figure this out. None of that. So, you know, again, you had another sort of round of parents panicking. And look, we know how this works. The news cycle gets all ginned up. And then, <laughs> you know, I always feel like it's like those, mur- it's like a, it's like, um, you know, some grisly murder. And then when the autopsy comes back, like nobody cares anymore about like what actually, you know, I feel like I keep bringing up true crime stuff, but I, but I'm telling, I, you know, in images of Hunter Biden, this is not nice imagery <laughs> that I'm giving people, but I will tell you, like, it is true that when they kind of knew that this was all because of this illegal, um, you know, things that people were loading into e-cigarettes, these like sort of homemade devices that they had made, um, then the news cycle had passed and there wasn't as much coverage. So very frustrating because I still hear that from people. I still hear that from concerned, you know, moms that I talk to, well, you know, all those harms that it caused to the lungs a couple of years ago. And I have to sort of correct them, but that is, Oh, it's brought up in, it's brought up in every piece of legislation now, (laughs) you know, and every, especially every state legislation, they always bring this up and it's just like, okay, uh, uh, you know, and and you're, Advocating for a black market, which is only going to, that's the interesting oh. thing about it right. is that their solution is just to make it, you know, okay, let's just ban all of them. So it's like, well, yeah. 
we already had problems with the black market products, but why don't, yeah, let's go do that, guys. Let's That's strength, smart. Let's offer, let's offer to strengthen that or, you know, solidify that black market. Yeah, it's a complete disaster. Now, you know, tell me about the the situation with the vaping industry now. Look, we've had a, so, so just, to, and I, I I ask you and then I'm talking, but, but, but just to a quick review is we've had, you know, there's now no more jewel uh, flavors there. They, I think they only do what uh, they, they took off mint even. So now it's just tobacco flavor. And what's the other one? Menthol. Menthol and tobacco. And, and, and menthol. And it, well, and they also, they did that. Jewel was pretty preemptive. They actually yeah. pulled their flavors before the federal government took out right. the pod based flavors. Right. right. And then, and then, but so, but there's been some good news. We now have the FDA actually recognizing the harm reduction qualities of one other uh, e-cigarette. Tell me a little bit about that. Am I getting that wrong? They, yeah, they they approved. The first one they approved was a, the View Solo, which is a Sigalike. It's one of the, the first. It's an archaic product, actually. <laughs> um, uh, so they uh, so the PMTAs were due back in September 9th. They started several weeks after they started issuing their marketing denial orders. Um, and it looks like they went after the open systems and the e-liquids. So there was big mods and, you know, people yeah. refilling them. They went after the flavors with them. Um, and so the first one that they approved a few weeks ago was the Views Solo. They only approved their tobacco one, menthol still in review, and they denied all the flavor ones. But per the... The federal government in 2020 banning all the cartridges. They weren't even allowed to market anyways. Um, and then just this week they have, they approved some oral, uh, tobacco product that used the pre-market tobacco application pathway for approval. Um, and that product's actually been discontinued by the manufacturer. <laughs> so, uh, oh, the FDA is really on top of it. Um, but you know, since parents are listening to this, uh, Disposables are on everybody's mind. Um, you know, background on the PMTA. FDA came down, you know, in like 2014. They really wanted to go. Well, they've been trying to regulate e-cigarettes since they came into the U.S. market in 2007. 2014 is when they really went after it. You know, they had authority to regulate it as a tobacco product. They put out the deeming regulations went in place in 2016. And under those, no new e-cigarette product could be, you know, manufactured on market if it came out after August 8, 2016. The majority of disposables, if not all of them, did come out post that right, deadline, right. and FDA has not regulated those. Um, the perfect one is Puff Bar, where you've already had, like, Campaign for Tobacco-Free Kids, has already told the FDA, hey, this came out in 2019, why aren't you getting it off the market? Um, and it took, like, the FDA to give them, like, six before all they did was issue a warning letter to them. But if you look at the NYTS and if you look at how much youth use of disposables has increased, parents should be blaming this federal agency at this point for not following their own regulations. Um, and especially now they're just shutting down a lot of businesses who are not selling to kids. They're, you know, open. The mod systems are the least used by youth as it is, um, and even the pod systems, I mean, they went down. Now it's all disposables, which, for the record, don't use a disposable. I mean, unless you trust your source, a lot of them are coming from really crazy places in China. Yeah, 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 exactly. Um, look, I, you know, I think, I, you know, I want to end this podcast on a happy note, and that might not be possible. I always try to, but that might not be possible um, in this. What do you see as the future 
for vaping. And I, I mean for, I mean for adult smokers looking to switch. Cause let's not forget that is sort of the point. And I do want to say that that is where big tobacco is going. Look, they are switching to these systems. They are, they are, they have these sort of long-term plans to eventually, you know, reduce the production of combustible cigarettes and switch to an e-cigarette model. Um, so we know big tobacco's plans, but like, tell me what you think are, you know, for these mom and pop shops, these are the ones, you know, when you're driving along and you look over and there's a big green vape sign, you know, or yeah. um, sometimes it says tobacco and vape products here. Like what, what's the future? I, you know, what's your prediction? Well, the one thing I've learned about the vaping industry, um, and especially the mom and pop vaping industry is they are so resilient. Yes. And I, and I, and I love, you know, not, okay. So outside of the, the smoke and vape shops, okay. You know, most of these, you know, vape shops that you go into, they're former smokers themselves. Yep. You know, they, they quit smoking and they just want to go share it to the world. They're like they're the evangelical. opposite of these They're cars. evangelical yeah. about it. Yeah. Yes. Yeah, they are kind of, yeah, they are, they're definitely like the knocking on your door. Have you heard <laughs> about vaping? Um, you know, and stuff. And they've been, and also like the vape shops are really good at like preventing youth use when you go right. through the FDA compliance checks. It's overwhelmingly C stores. Now, don't get me wrong. I think C stores should be able to have e-cigarettes as long as there's combustible cigarettes. Yep. But I, I, right now I know that the industry is moving towards synthetic and most of them are going to reapply. We have a blueprint. They have a blueprint now when it comes to the FDA regulations, and hopefully with some a little bit of congressional nudge um, with reining in an agency. But it's going to be interesting to watch over the next couple of years on how the FDA is actually able to enforce their regulations, seeing that they've done a really poor job of doing it since you know post August eight twenty sixteen when all of it was supposed to be regulated. Yeah. But I, I think it's still going to be there. It's unfortunate, um, you know, with the Eve Ally scare, you saw a lot of people drop out on that. Yeah. The COVID misinformation, uh, you know, oh, if you smoke and vape, you're more likely to get COVID. It's not true. There is actually no data to actually support that. Uh, so just trudging on, but they're still there, um, even though right now they're all getting hit. The vape shops are getting hit, you know, double team between the, the – between the, Federal excise tax, the PMTAs, and then now the USPS regulations. Lindsay, you do great work in this area, and I want um, people to be able to find where you write in case they do have additional questions about this. And I know that you do focus on on youth vaping some. So where can people find your writing and your podcasting or whatever else you do? Yeah, um, if you just go to protectingtaxpayers.org or look up the Taxpayers Protection Alliance, you'll see all the work that I do. And if you want to follow me on Twitter, it's um, at LMStroud89. And then I also have the website, THR101.org, but I haven't been updating it. <laughs> well, get to work. Get to work because people are going to go see that from if they listen to this uh, this podcast because you really are a wealth of knowledge and reassurance. And I think parents really need to know um, that youth vaping, while unfortunate, we certainly don't want um, kids vaping. That's why it's illegal, people. Um, there's a lot of reassurance for parents out there about when you really dig into these numbers. And that is what Lindsay does at TPA. She really, that's her job. She, she provides the data and analyzes the data. And that is what sadly is not being done with by public health. In fact, they are, they're sort of cooking the books and they're using, they're sort of inflating these numbers to scare parents. And that is why 
Um, it's really bad when public health uh, starts to push an agenda, um, particularly a, a political agenda. I hope, Lindsay, you'll come back and talk to us about this. This is, again, something that parents really need to know about. And thanks so much for your great work on it. Thank you. Thanks, everyone, for being here for another episode of the Bespoke Parenting Hour. If you enjoyed this episode or like the podcast in general, please leave a rating or review on iTunes. This helps ensure that the podcast reaches as many listeners as possible. If you haven't subscribed to the Bespoke Parenting Hour on iTunes, Spotify, Google Play, or wherever you get your podcasts, please do so so you won't miss an episode. Don't forget to share this episode and let your friends know that they can get Bespoke episodes on their favorite podcast app. From all of us here at the Independent Women's Forum, thanks for listening.